Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM, it all happens here. And you're very welcome to the Culture Club. And today we have the director and playwright, Philly McMahon, who has brought back Wake 2024 by This Is Pop Baby. And it's going to be on in the National Stadium this March. Philly, thank you very much for being with us. Thanks for having me. You had it there in 2022, didn't you? Yeah, we had a massive outing in 2022 as part of Dublin Fringe Festival. So uh, we had a sold out arena party for a number of weeks played to about 7,000 people and we thought we've got to bring the show back. Tell us about the show. What is it? Describe it because it's probably not like anything else we're used to really in Ireland, is it? I'm calling it spectacle theatre. It's a kind of, you know, you'll have a friend that comes back from Vegas or from Sydney and say, I saw this show and I don't know how to describe it. It's theatre, it's spectacle, it's aerial, it's circus. So it's, And we were like, we have to be able to make these shows in Ireland. And so this is about 15 people on stage a live trad band is kind of where our kind of our own cultural t- traditions meet kind of contemporary culture and um and the wake the irish wake the celebration of life the biggest party in our culture is kind of the spine of the show and so it's a massive party really and the national stadium is not a venue i think that people think of a lot these days for things but there was a time when it was the major concert venue in ireland i think the likes of elton john and led zeppelin have played in the national stadium uh, and uh, a performer once told me that she had her first date with her husband at nina simone there and so and the national stadium on south circular road is the world's first uh uh boxing like purpose-built boxing stadium as, as Dave in the National Stadium will tell anyone that, that visits there. It's an amazing space. And there's something about that, you know, you can imagine that this show is in the round because like a boxing, you yeah. know, a boxing uh, match is in the round. And so audience are looking across at each other, you know, in, in kind of all directions. It's a, a bit really, like a circus. A bit like a circus, a very special atmosphere. And so, yeah, it's just, this show is a very special one for us. And for anyone that knows, this is Pop Babe in our work. It's about taking Irish cultural traditions and remixing them for a new audience. Yeah, tell people a little bit more about This Is Pop Babe. What is it? <laughs> this is, we are, we are theatre and events company and we've just been making stages at festivals, in theatre festivals, music festivals, greenfield sites over about 15 years. And so we kind of have this massive family of weird performers that we bring together for these kind of big entertainment shows. And so this is a world-facing show. This is a show that we will be bringing on the road internationally and it's great to be at St. Patrick's Festival this year as kind of the, the big show there. So is this the sort of the fun stuff as against the more serious stuff you often do on stage? Yeah, look, you know, it, it's all about balance, isn't it? Uh, so the great thing about audiences that come to our show is they're like, they will happily come to a drama and happily come to a big entertainment show. I think the trust is in us, the makers, the artists, the company to kind of deliver something excellent no matter where it is. So where will you bring it after the National Stadium? World domination awaits. Somebody described it as a bit like a modern version of Riverdance. I I think one of the reviews said it's like Riverdance for club queens. And I thought, (laughs) okay, yeah, I'll take that. You know, you always take reviews with a pinch of salt, but I will take that one. Okay, well, it's on from the 6th of March to the 23rd of March in the National Stadium on South Circular Road. So that is Wake 2024 by This Is Pop Baby. Is it different to the one you did in 2022? It's an evolution, but it's the same show. But it's like if people want more information, it's waketheshow.com. Okay, let's get to your culture club choices. And uh, we asked... <laughs> Should I apologise now? No, why? <laughs> why would you apologise? About my choices. Why would you? 
I'm, I've got to preface my choices, Matt, by saying that uh, I'm a card-carrying homosexual and, you know, must be forgiven as such for some of these choices. <laughs> Why would you plead for <laughs> forgiveness for your choices? They're entirely... Uh, some of them are really, really good choices, which I think lots of people, be they gay or not, will love. Start with your first single, which is maybe a little bit of a cliche, so is it? Well... It, it would be a cliche, except, you know, I was eight or something like that, so I would call myself an early adopter. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, the first single was, uh, what was, what size were they? Were they five? Seven inches. Seven inches. And Locomotion by Kylie Minogue. So I, I have a vivid memory of having Kylie Minogue posters all over the bedroom wall and during a, a birthday party begging my parents not to let anybody into the bedroom, not to let anybody see the posters. So I've been a lifelong fan and now admirer of Kylie. So, you know, anyone that's just discovering her like Americans with Padam, they're late to the party. Let's hear a little bit of the locomotion. because I was wondering, is that a 1950s or a 1960s track originally? And it turns out it was first number one in 1962 for Little Eva, then in 1974 for Grand Funk Railroad, and then that was 1988 for Kylie Minogue. I'm surprised Louis Walsh hasn't nabbed it for some boy band. He possibly has. <laughs> He's still a fan, though. She's managed to endure brilliantly over the decades, hasn't she? Look, you know, I think it's like five decades of hits at this point, you know, like, just what a megastar, like, well, you know, so, you know, have got, like with all stars, you know, have gone through phases, but um, I'm a huge admirer, and then, you know, when she, to arrive back with something like Padam, it's just, like, amazing. Favourite album? Uh, I was thinking about this, and I was, like, when you think your favourite album, it's like, what album brings you back to a certain time or place or person, so, you know... This was a really hard one, but I was thinking about George Michael's Listen Without Prejudice. It's an amazing album. It's kind of coded with his, basically, with his life. It's also, it's a plea for, like, for his own freedom. But even with the album, he was saying to everybody in America, you know, I'm not going to put my face to this. Just listen to it without thinking about me, because he was criticised about being an R&B artist and all of this kind of stuff. And had he come out at that stage? He hadn't come out, but he's also talking about, on the record, he's talking about, a, like, a partner dying of AIDS. Like, it's so coded and it's so honest. And yet, 
people were not asking the right questions or, you know, um, or, you know, he was, it's very, it's such an honest, amazing album. But what I love about it most is that I get to share it with my mum, is that we're both, we're kind of united in this kind of George Michael appreciation fandom. Um, and so, and we went to see George together, and so it's really special to me. And my mom recently bought me both a record player and this album on vinyl, and I just thought that was a really special thing. So I, I absolutely adore this album. So the track that we're going to play from it is Freedom 90. Amazing song and covered by Robbie Williams, of course, later on, talking about wanting his own freedom. Uh, But, you know, wanting freedom as an artist, like, I think George is one of the last kind of great, great pop stars and, of course, was, you know, no perfect on everything he did. I remember the upset of my house the night he died. My wife would have been an enormous Wham fan originally as a teenage girl and then into the George Michael. And it was very sad for him, wasn't it, the way his later years were? It was. I was thinking about that yesterday because I was listening to the album and I was kind of thinking, like, was his life sad or did he just live it on his own terms? For us, like, another element that's in the soup for us is I'm born on Christmas Day. My nephew was born on Christmas Day. My father died on Christmas Day. George died on Christmas Day and then his sister died on Christmas Day. And so there's, there's all of these kind of, you know, little things in the soup in our house on Christmas Day and kind of George is part of that. Uh, so yeah, he's kind of he's special in our house. We try and get people to just go for one album. You did put down a list of a few others <laughs> that you had in mind as well, though. Yeah, God, it it was you know, 
if you were if you were a card carrying homosexual in the 1990s you didn't escape every Tori Amos album going or um, or I just remember the kind of how big REM were and how special they were to me and everybody was in automatic for the people but for for some of my age like monster the next album was kind of the big one so there was kind of there's so many or Coldplay parachutes. I'm traveling across Australia in Olympic year 2000. You know, on a bus across that continent, and you know, I just love that when you used to listen to whole albums, yeah, which we don't do anymore, or like people are not right, or they're not writing them in the same way, telling yes. that story. Um, it just transports you back to like moments in your, you know, evolution. And you also have as your best gig REM in Slane in the mid 90s. It was incredible. Like from. There's so many elements of it that were incredible, from lying in a sleeping bag as a teenager on Grafton Street queuing for the tickets, because, you know, that's what you did before the internet, to cycling to Dublin Airport, hearing that Michael Stipe would be landing in a plane and two of us on bikes outside Dublin Airport, and he came out. We were like, where's all the fans? And it was just two of us. (laughs) And we said, can we have an autograph? And he said, I don't sign autographs, but I do shake hands. And so we met Michael Stipe, and then that weekend we went to Slane as 15-year-olds, I think, and saw the kind of most amazing gig with Oasis were the one of the support acts and, you know, just this kind of... His energy on stage was extraordinary. I saw him in the RDS, REM played in 1988, I think it was, and it was an absolutely terrific gig, but his just his energy was just extraordinary. Just amazing. And recently I was, I was reading up about Automatic for the People, and like obsessed with the lyrics and everything, but they apparently they were saying that the um, that album was about the crisis of turning thirty. I thought, oh god, well now I feel old. <laughs> Favorite band you have nominated though? Actually, we play a little bit of REM actually live. I don't yes. think this is from Slane, but let's just hear what they're like live. The one I love. Document album from 1987, brilliant classic REM. There, give us your favourite band because I have to admit this is one I'm not familiar with. Uh, well, the great love of my life is one half of Dublin indie electro outfit Fino. So I'm not allowed to like any other band. Um, these, I love this band uh, Fino, as in PH, as in Phoenix Park, and um, and they are kind of an electro indie. Duo, and what I love about listening to my partner's music is that you know most people don't get to hear their partners 
innermost thoughts. Most people probably don't want to, but I get to hear his through song. And it's kind of, it's really amazing to kind of uh, hear somebody's artistic expression, somebody you know really well, somebody that you love, and to kind of discover them through their own music. It's quite a special thing. And so we have a great artistic collaboration going on um, as well. Um, but this is uh, Fino, which he is the lead singer of. Let's hear a little bit of them in action. What's that track? That track is called Alive. And actually, I don't know why I wasn't joining the, the dots, but Adam, who is this performer, is also the lead of our band in Wake. So we've got a natural tie in there that I, I'm just realising on the spot. And if people are looking for more music from Fino, where can they find it? Fino, Instagram, Spotify, you know, all of the places where, you know, you get your music. Are there any albums Apple, as such Apple or music. is it tracks that are coming It's tracks at the moment and they are finishing an album that they've been recording over the last little while. So yeah, really impressive. That sounded great. Yeah. We'll have more of your choices in the Culture Club when we get to movies and plays and books and the like with Philly McMahon, the director and playwright and, of course, is behind Wake 2024 by This Is Pop Baby, which is on in the National Stadium throughout March. We ask everyone for a favourite movie or actor or director. What have you gone for? Well, this is just plain embarrassing now, isn't it? <laughs> tell tell <laughs> every the listeners what it is. I just go to a comfort place with this music, with, with this movie. When I was younger and I was introduced, I'm a, I'm a fan of musical theatre and musical films and all of that. And, you know, if I hear one more person say, I'm not a fan of musicals, it's like you've got to find the right ones. Um, but my parents introduced me to Grease, which was a film that they had loved, they'd seen in the... John Travolta, Olivia Newton-John. All of that, and they played us the record, and then Grease... Two came out. Was there a Grease Two? There was a Grease Two. Was there a Grease Two? Well, seriously, I, I don't remember. You it. don't know this film. Um, it essentially tells the exact same story as Grease One, uh, but the gender roles are are flipped. So the guy is kind of the nerdy one, and Michelle Pfeiffer is uh, the star of the Pink Ladies, and she is the kind of John Travolta of Grease Two. Okay, and so it's Michelle Pfeiffer, Maxwell Caulfield. And um, it's 80s, but I think it's set in the 70s or something like that. But it's kind of got an 80s vibe about it. And it's just, for me, it is, it's kind of a childhood, teenage comfort place. Michelle Pfeiffer is just extraordinary in it. It's one of her early films. And uh, I think recently they got tried to get her to say, oh, you know, that must have been a terrible time for you. And she was like, no, I absolutely loved making that film. Um, and the songs are 
you know, in my humble opinion, uh, absolute bangers. We've got one called Girl for All Seasons. Don't remember that. <laughs> okay. There's a there's a lyric in one of the songs. There's a uh, this guy's disguised on a, in a motorcycle helmet, and the the lyric is, "Who's that guy? The man on the cycle. What would they say if they knew it was Michael?" So you kind of get the gist of you know. We're, we're, I feel like my street credibility is kind of in the bin here, but I'm going to go with eclectic taste. Okay, uh, yeah, and let's yeah. re reestablish it by nominating your favorite player musical. <laughs> well, uh, this was look. Uh, all of these questions for me was like, they just brought me back to moments in time and like moments of transformation. And for me, seeing Rent, the musical in the 90s, um, was a huge moment of transformation. I saw it on the West End and was recommended to Sorry, me. Sorry, transformation in what way do you mean? In the way that theatre or a gig or a live performance that you feel like something is changed or like that you're so inspired to take another path or... Um, you know, for me, there's been moments of like, one of the moments was when I saw Riverdance in the Eurovision in 94. And I thought, oh, at 14, I was like, whatever that is, whatever that feeling, whatever putting light on that stage is, I want to do that. And so you kind of have these moments for me, yeah. certainly as someone who's pursued a you know, career in theatre. And Rent for me was, I don't know if you know the story of Rent, but basically they're in the 90s and they're in the East Village and their building is being closed down. The landlords are kind of moving in and it's kind of talking about the AIDS crisis and it's talking about the um, decimation of art in New York and all of that kind of thing. And it's a pop rock musical. And, uh, and for me, I was like, oh, these are talking about all the things that I'm interested in or looking at myself and you know it seemed to be kind of reflecting young people's lives in kind of an old medium um and jonathan larson who is the um the writer and lyricist of uh the show died before just when they were in dress rehearsal so he never actually saw the show which became like a 20-year hit like it's one of the biggest yeah. it changed musical theater in america in the where did you see it i saw it in the west end Okay. Yeah. We have a clip from it, Seasons of Love from Rent, and this is from the original cast album from the 1996 Broadway show.
So that's from the musical rent. So let's go to books and authors. First of all, tell us about Douglas Stewart. Who's that? Douglas Stewart is an amazing writer who wrote... Um, he, he won the Booker Prize with um, Shuggy Bain, but his most recent book, Young Mungo, um, is, has been a massive hit as well. And he basically... He tells these kind of stories which touch on kind of queer themes, working class themes, um, talking about poverty of his own family in um, in Glasgow. And there's a lot of kind of thematic things that chime with me. Um, and uh, yeah, really, really special writer. And Olivia Lang, The Lonely City, you've also nominated. Yeah, Olivia Lang is an amazing, she's a British writer. And the story of A Lonely City, which is kind of a memoir, is she gets into a relationship with a guy and he says, come with me, move to New York. She gives up her life in the UK. I think she's a regular columnist at The Guardian and she gives all of that up and she moves to New York and he proceeds, he dumps her almost immediately and she's kind of stuck in New York and she can't go home and she doesn't have any friends and so she discovers New York through these queer artists that she's obsessed with, the kind of Andy Warhols and Basquiat and all of that. And so you're kind of looking at these artists through her eyes and she's kind of wandering around this lonely city kind of with these kind of artists as her company and it's kind of the most extraordinary kind of meditation on relationships and loneliness. We have an excerpt from the audiobook. Since coming to America, I was forever botching the ball game of language, fumbling my catches, bungling my throws. Each morning I'd walk up through Tompkins Square Park to get my coffee, past the temperance fountain and the dog run. On East 9th Street, there was a cafe that looked out over a community garden planted with an enormous weeping willow. It was populated almost exclusively by people gazing into the glowing clamshells of their laptops, and so it seemed a safe place, in which my solitary status was unlikely to be exposed. Each day, though, the same thing happened. I ordered the nearest thing to filter on the menu, a medium urn brew, which was written in large chalk letters on the board. Each time, without fail, the barista looked mystified and asked me to repeat myself. I might have found it funny in England, or irritating, or I might not have noticed it at all, but that autumn it worked under my skin, depositing little grains of anxiety and shame. It was such a stupid thing to get upset about, a minor artefact of foreignness, of speaking a shared language with a slightly different inflection, a different slant. That's The Lonely City by Olivia Lang. Television. What is it do you watch on television? Do you get time to watch television? Kind of a big fan of television at the moment, um, but kind of finding the right things. Uh, there's a lot of kind of Channel 4 things that have been really impressing me recently. Things like adult material and specifically the new season of Big Boys is out. I don't know if you know. What's that? Tell us about it. By a writer called Jack Rourke and it's about two guys who are basically thrown into halls together in college and it you know but it's it's set at an interesting time it's a comedy and it's just kind of like laugh out loud funny it's very very smart um so like everybody else i've kind of been enjoying the golden age of television we'll try anything but you know british irish comedy documentary um we'll give anything a go really okay well let's get to your buried treasure because we asked all our guests on the Culture Club just to pick out something that people might not be familiar with and you've gone for Peter Allen who's an Australian singer I believe Yes, tell uh, us about him and why you've picked him I always start by saying discovered by Judy Garland and married to Liza Minnelli 
later came out as gay, uh, died of AIDS, was a huge star, huge star in Australia and in America, and I don't really think people have heard of him here. And uh, Even though there was a movie made about him, was there, and Hugh Jackman played the role of him? Yeah, there was a The Boy From Oz, and was a massive stage musical. And it, again, you know, I only discovered uh, Peter Allen in the last while. But if anybody's familiar, if anyone's been to Australia, it's almost like the second Australian national anthem is Peter Allen's song, I Still Call Australia Home. It's on Qantas ads, it's on like, you know, so he's kind of a massive star. It was kind of an Elton John character, you know, was huge. But lost all of his money in the end. He, he bet it all on a stage musical that he wanted to be in called Legs Diamond. And uh, it, About the gangster in America in 1930s. That, yeah, and so it absolutely tanked and he lost all of his money. Um, but like just a fascinating, like was discovered singing in Hong Kong by Judy Garland and brought to America. And if anyone's interested, there's a fabulous SBS documentary on YouTube about him. It's about an hour long and you kind of just think, wow, what an amazing character. Well, let's just hear him. This is Peter Allen with I Go To Real. For dancing or romancing But I give in to the rhythm And my feet follow the beating of my heart Whoa, when my baby When my baby smiles at me I go to Rio De Janeiro I'm a salsa fellow When my baby smiles at me The sun I can see why you call him an Australian Elton John. Yeah, this man is a god in Australia. You say to any Australian Peter Allen and, you know, but he's got an amazing song called Tenterfield Sadler about his grandfather. The music is incredible. And you also named one of your plays Once Before I Go after one of his songs. Yeah. yeah the, uh, that's the one that's on the Leaving Cert curriculum. It's just been added to the Leaving Cert curriculum. Congratulations. What's that like to have a play put on the Leaving Cert curriculum? It's pretty good. Yeah. It's pretty good. There are, you know, there are a few awards you can get in theatre in your life, certainly in this country, but like that feels like one of them. And what's the play about? The play follows a group of friends through three cities in three decades. So it starts in London now and it jumps back to Dublin in the 80s and then to Paris in the 90s. And it's about the kind of, they're three queer friends and it's just about the kind of changing of their relationships. And it's looking back on how the legacy of the AIDS crisis affects people today and like that kind of historical trauma uh, brought along and uh, amongst other things. Um, but Peter Allen, one of his songs is called Once Before I Go and it's heartbreaking. And uh, and so that's what we call the... He's mentioned in the play a lot and so that's what, uh, so that's what the play is named after. Philly McMahon, it's been great having you. If you're interested, as I'm sure you must be after hearing all of that, <laughs> Wake 2024 by This Is Pop Baby is on at the National Stadium from the 6th of March to Saturday the 23rd. Philly McMahon, thank you so much for being with us.